what I thought could be um, helpful this morning is just practicing what we've been doing, but not in a like, hey, let's um, do more push-ups or something way. But uh, it's interesting because Romans 8, the passage that we'll be looking at during the sermon, Paul has a citation there from Psalm 44. And um, I had looked at that a little bit during the week, and a lot of that is left out of the sermon. But Paul's bringing it up, expecting that we know what Psalm 44 is talking about. And I think it'll be really edifying to just look together at Psalm 44. So um, full disclosure, I, I found out last night I'm doing this. I haven't prepared things. This is just us edifyingly looking at the word together of a, a rich passage. And uh, we'll do that. I am going to try and not drag it out or feel like I need to fill an hour. And I think you're all great people who would appreciate having more time to fellowship afterwards. So we'll just look at it, see what's there, and uh, and go from there. So um, that's basically what's going on. Um, and so I thought we'd... Uh, I'll read Psalm 44, then we'll kind of break, you can see it breaks down into three sections, and we'll talk about each one. Um, and then I thought we could do the TPCA method a little bit together. Just what does it teach? What can we praise God for? Uh, what can we confess? And what can we ask for? So in, in that sense, it's pulling together what we've been talking about. Um, so why don't I pray, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll take a look at this uh, really beautiful text together. So, Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that we can gather this morning with the gift of your word, and in it you meet us, you strengthen our faith, you convict us of areas that we need to change, and you show us the wonder of your glory and your love and your salvation. We pray that you'd help us this morning as we look at your word and as we consider it. We pray for Ryan that his recovery would be quick. And we thank you just for your grace to meet us in, in all of our need. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so have you had a chance to find Psalm 44 in your Bibles? Um, I encourage you to turn there. <clears throat> and then... I will read the whole passage because I think when we when we come to a psalm, when we come to any passage of Scripture, it's great to get a, a big picture look at it. And then once you kind of see what's going on, then we can break it up and kind of take it section by section. Um, and then I'll be asking for your, your input as we go along on this. So we'll just walk through this together. So um, this is Psalm 44. You notice the subscription there, uh, to the choir master, a masquil of the sons of Korah. So sons of Korah composing this, musical genre, a masquil in some way, and choir master notes. So pretty typical with a lot of the Psalms. And then we start in verse 1. O oh God, we have heard with our ears, our fathers have told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old. You with your own hand drove out the nations, but them you planted, you afflicted the peoples, but them you set free. For not by their own sword did they win the land, nor did their own arm save them, but your right hand and your arm and the light of your face, for you delighted in them. You are my king, O God, o ordain salvation for Jacob. Through you we push down our foes, through your name we tread down those who rise up against us. For not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. But you have saved us from our foes and have put to shame those who hate us. 
In God we have boasted continually, and we will give thanks to your name forever. Selah. Now it takes a major turn, which you'll hear right away. But you have rejected us and disgraced us and have not gone out with our armies. You have made us turn back from the foe, and those who hate us have gotten spoil. You have made us like sheep for slaughter and have scattered us among the nations. You have sold your people for a trifle, demanding no high price for them. You have made us the taunt of our neighbors, the derision and scorn of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, a laughingstock among the peoples. All day long my disgrace is before me, and shame has covered my face. At the sound of the taunter and reviler, at the sight of the enemy and the avenger. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant. Our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us in the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So far, the reading of God's Word, Psalm 44. Uh, There it is in its entirety. Did you hear the quotation that we find in Romans 8? Uh, You find it there in verse 22. Yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's what Paul's going to pick up in our passage this morning for our sermon. So, um, as we just step back and look at the psalm as a whole, you kind of notice three sections overall, right? And the Selah indicates where that first section ends in verse 8. The first section is really highlighting how God has been faithful, right? It's recounting the faithfulness of God. But then that second section, verses 9 to 22, are really this big complaint against God. Um, They have gone out in battle and they've been humiliated. And what's interesting about this psalm is notice they're arguing we've been humiliated even though we haven't turned back, even though we haven't turned to idols. We have been faithful, and yet you didn't go out with us, and now we are ashamed and humiliated and all kinds of other stuff. And then it really ends with verses 23 to 26 with this appeal to God. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself, do not reject us forever. And it ends there with, redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. So those kind of three sections, you've been faithful in the past, things in the present really stink, and in fact, you've, you've messed it up. Like, I'm not real happy with how it's going. And then there's this call to God, wake up and do something about this. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? And the, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Does that remind you of anything, any stories in the Old Testament about a God sleeping? Isn't that what Elijah taunted um, the gods, like Baal's asleep, you know, when all his priests are there? Why don't you, maybe he's still asleep. The people of Israel here 
are leveling that same charge against God. Like, it seems like you're asleep and we'd like you to wake up. Maybe have some coffee, whatever it takes, so you could like do something about this, right? So that's what's going on here overall. Um, now, when we come to a, a psalm like this, and as we're thinking of just studying the Bible on our own, um, one thing that's really helpful is if you have a study Bible, it can tell you sometimes the context. Like, you know, if you're approaching a book, it's helpful to realize the context of the book. If you're coming to the Psalms, one of the things that commentaries are really helpful about is they can just give you an overview of, is there a, con- a particular context to this? Because that helps us understand these words, right? Um, this is one of a two-volume series on the Psalms by Derek Kidner. This is the old version of it. There's a new purple cover, but I just have that digitally, not, not this way. Yep, smells old. Um, and so, like, but when it comes to a book like the Psalms, where we turn to again and again, um, picking up a high-level but good commentary like this is really helpful. So Derek Kidner, um, you know, if you want details about this, we can always talk later um, so you could order it or whatever. It's not very expensive. Also, um, Jim Hamilton Jr., which, yeah, Jim Hamilton Sr. is with this, but uh, he's written a really helpful, Mindy's brother has written a really helpful two-volume commentary on the Psalms, and I was able to look at that a little bit this week. And so, boy, picking up something like that for your library is just really helpful. And part of the reason for that is this. When you come to Psalm 44, and it's talking about the people of Israel have been rejected and disgraced, sleep among, or sheep among slaughter. Um, they've been driven away and scattered. Um, we wonder, okay, what's the context for this that's happening, right? And what we might naturally think is this sounds like exile language, doesn't it? They've been driven away. Um, they've been scattered. But what's interesting about it is in the context of the psalm, first of all, we find it early in the Psalter. This is near the beginning of book two. Um, And so as you move along in the Psalter, you find that exile motif getting stronger and stronger. The other thing that we notice in it is the people are saying, we haven't broken your covenant. Do they say that in the exilic cryings out? Usually it's much more like, hey, we blew it, but can you help us, (laughs) right? This one's different because they're saying, we haven't blown it. We're walking faithfully. We're saying no to idols. And yet, you're asleep at the wheel is kind of the idea. And so, um, Derek Kidner, like if you just look up Psalm 44 in this, he just has this helpful sentence that helps orient us. The scattering among the nations in verse 11, see that there in verse 11, you have made us like sheep for slaughter. You've scattered us among the nations. Okay, is that is that the exile? Um, and he says the people's clear conscience about idolatry in verses 17 and following seem at first to indicate post-exilic times for the composition of the psalm. So on the other side of the exile. But there were deportations before the exile. What he's saying there is people were scattered. The people of Israel were Um, conquered by enemies and scattered before this huge scattering of the exile. And then he cites Amos 1, 6, and 9, where if we go to Amos, um, you find that the nation of Edom is being indicted for how they captured and took away people of Israel. So there were these micro-scatterings and conquerings that were taking place before this giant conquering of Assyria and Babylon that that comes later, right? So it says, um, 
And so it says Amos 1, 6, and 9, and such a psalm as the Davidic Psalm 60 with strong similarities to the present one. Here's the important part. Is a reminder that defeat was not unknown in the reigns of loyal kings. So you could have a godly king and defeat and even people being taken away was something that still was happening. Um, We might think of Old Testament history a little too simplistically sometimes, right? Like good king, everything goes good. Every day the sun's shining, right? It still rained. They still had armies coming against them. They still even had some military defeats, um, even if it wasn't on the scale of total failure and exile. And so it says the inclusion of this psalm in the second book of the Psalter makes a pre-exilic date more likely than not. All that is is technical speak for saying this probably is before the exile and happening in the good days of Israel. And yet this is the experience of the people of God. So that gives us a little context as we look at the psalm. Um, I think I want to open it up to you. What did you notice just as we read through it? Or does anything stand out to you? Um, And I know it's a pain and stuff, but if you'd slip up your hand so we can bring you the mic, it lets people who are at home wondering why Ryan isn't here um, hear what you're saying. Yeah, Hank has something. Um, I read, been looking at Psalm 121 lately, you know, where he never slumbers nor sleeps. Yeah. Uh, I thought that was interesting how here he's asleep and yeah. the exiles there are saying he never slumbers or sleeps. So it really depends on what's going on in Israel. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it's this fascinating thing, right? Like Scripture's telling us God never slumbers and sleeps, and yet they're saying, but it feels like you do. <laughs> and just in case you are, wake up. Um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating, right? Anything else you notice just as kind of that high-level overview of it? Yeah, Kevin? It just seems strange to me that there's no vindication of God given. Yeah. Just the complaint and the call, help. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's a really good thing to notice, right? Um, it doesn't wrap up all neat and tidy where we say, oh, that was my perception, and but then I did my devotions and realized, like, God wasn't really asleep, like that whole type thing. That's not the resolution of, and life just became all rosy. Like that's not what's happening here, which is interesting. Just in case you walked in a, a bit later, because I know we all kind of filter in on, on Sunday mornings and stuff. Um, we're setting aside the teaching Ryan was going to do, and we're just looking together at Psalm 44. So just in case you're wondering where we are on that handout, we're not on it, and we are just talking about Psalm 44 uh, together. One thing, and Jared, you can, yeah, take a break. I don't want Jared to have to stand the whole time. Um, We'll take a little break for that. If you probably turned there in your Bibles, right, as we look at the overall context of this, I think it's also helpful to see, and this is something you can just high-level look at, right? If you flip back, for me, it's just one page to Psalm 42, you see that's where book two starts of the Psalter. There's a lot of stuff you can study about the various books and what the themes are. But here's the thing that I think is just interesting to see. If I say Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, does anything come to mind for you all? It's okay if not. But here's a handle for Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Right? 
That's a refrain that's happening throughout these two psalms. Book two of the Psalter starts with these psalms that um, are talking about this longing um, for God's presence and a darkness slash depression slash discouragement that's happening on an individual level in chapters 42, Psalm 42 and 43. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? As we come to Psalm 44, which is the one we're looking at, it shifts from the individual experience of that dark night of the soul to now a corporate one. The people of Israel as a whole now are experiencing this event together that's incredibly discouraging to them, right? And so I think that's just a helpful thing to see contextually about what's going on as well. Um, Just at a high level again, you notice that first section recounts the faithfulness of God. And so as Israel has gone through this incredibly discouraging and dark experience, that again, Paul's going to pick up on our experience of suffering and groaning in Romans 8, notice that part of what they do is say, God, you have been really faithful in the past. Um, Notice how verse 1 starts. We have heard with our ears. Our fathers told us what deeds you performed in their days, in the days of old, in those days of the conquest, in those days of the exodus. We've heard about how you've acted, God. With your own hand, you drove out the nations, and yet you planted your own people. Um, By your hand and your arm, the light of your face, you delighted in the people of Israel, right? Like this is an amazing thing. And then notice the the cry of faith there in verse 4. You are my king, O God, ordain salvation for Jacob. Um, And then I don't even trust in my bow or my sword, but you're the one who saves. Verse 8, in God we have boasted continually and we will give thanks to your name forever. I think that's a helpful thing for us to realize just as we think about it is if we are sowing to this type of thinking, of recounting the deeds and faithfulness of God that will be helpful to us when we come through the dark times of suffering that we don't understand. Um, It doesn't mean that if you haven't done this, then you're just doomed to failure in your suffering or something. But we can see that this is a helpful practice of the people of God. This is part of why we gather on Sunday mornings, why we have the Lord's Supper, is to have the deeds of God's faithfulness recounted to us. For them, it was the exodus and the conquest For us, we look ahead and we see even more pieces of all that God has done for us in Christ, right? Then we come to this middle section, though, and we see this discouraging event that they're going through. And if we just think about this discouraging event, what are a few things that characterize it? One is they've been seeking to be faithful, right? This is a complaint of, I have had my heart oriented toward you. We are collectively not turning toward idols. This isn't a punishment that fits the crime, is what they're saying. Does that at all speak to your experience as a believer? I'm walking through this dark time. We as a church are going through dark things all around us, perhaps. Like it could be individual, it can be corporate. This is corporate in nature. And... I know that there have been times when I've turned from you and things go dark. But this isn't one of those times. Like, I've searched my soul. And notice what it says. I love this there. Um, Verse 20, If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, worshipped idols, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. It's like, 
God is all-knowing, and he can check the record. This isn't why this calamity has come upon us, right? It's like that replay thing in the commercials, like, replay that a bit, right? And it's like, God could watch the replay and say, you know what, you're right, your overall trajectory, not that they've been perfect, right? Um, But as a nation, according to the covenant, at this time, they've been walking faithfully. And yet, you come to verse 22, yet for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The outsiders around them, as they look upon the people of Israel, they're like, look what their God does for them. They're just a bunch of sheep who are ready to be slaughtered, taken off into captivity. And then there's all kinds of not only hardship, but disgrace. Verse 14, you have made us a byword among the nations, a laughing stock among the peoples. You know, when we go through difficult times, on the one hand, just the thing that we're enduring is very difficult, right? But then there's this whole other layer of what do people think about us in it? Are they looking at us saying, wow, they've really messed it up to get to be going through this? Like, what did they do to make God so mad? Like, those types of things. Um, Those voices come from the outside, and we're concerned about that from the outside. I think those voices often come from the inside a lot too. We'll talk about that some during the sermon. Part of the challenge for me is to not preach the sermon now, but just kind of stick to this. So, um, but that, and that's the experience of shame, right? It may be provoked by things that are or aren't being said outside of us. There, there are all kinds of hurtful things being said about the people of God, and that's been the experience of the people of God for all ages. That's what this psalm reminds us, right? Um, but Uh, part of that experience is then it aligns with things inside our hearts that cause us to question as well, um, what got me here? Why is God doing this to me? Um, And that's part of the experience uh, that's going on here. And so they're very vocal about the difficulties of their present situation. So we recount the faithfulness of God, but we can be honest about the sufferings of the present, right? Right? This seems very unfair. Here's the list of all the things that stink right now that I, I don't think a Christian should be going through, is essentially what they're saying, especially a God-fearing Christian. Um, that's what they're holding out. And then where does it go? Verses 23 to 26. While it doesn't tie it all up neatly in a bow, notice God can handle the honest complaint. <laughs> um they are not obliterated from existence because they said to God, why are you asleep? I think that's an amazing thing. Uh, So often in the Christian life, we stuff those things down, but those questions are still there. And they're going to pop up in other ways, pop up as fear, pop up as anger, lashing out at other people, um, doubts that just continue to grow. This models for us what God says to do with those legitimate questions. We bring them Godward. Um, And it says, awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. What we're experiencing right now feels like your rejection. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? How can you go on, God? How can you sleep at night knowing I'm going through this? Is really what they're saying. And maybe sleeping's the problem. Can you wake up? Like, it's like, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. And then listen to the description of how they feel. 
for our soul, our inmost being, is described as being bowed down to the dust. Groveling in the dust. What does that also make us think of? The curse of the serpent a little bit, right? Like on your belly, you're just going to lick dust. Like I'm in a cursed place. Our belly clings to the ground. We're just here in the dust. And then here's the, the call. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. What is faithful about what's going on here? There might be a better way to ask that. Um, I'm just going to leave it at that, though. Um, and Jared, you can pop up again. What, what, what is instructive to us in our darkness and doubt about what they say in particular at the end of this? Um, anything that strikes you as we think of our own experience going through difficult times what we see them doing that may be okay for us to do or helpful for us to do. Any thoughts? Anna, do you have one? I see you. I see that hand rubbing, actually. That's a giveaway for me. <laughs> the mic's coming. Sorry, are, is that okay? Okay, I thought you'd have something to say. <laughs> Thanks, Craig. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the fact that how the peop- this psalmist directs his complaint, well, directs his thoughts to God primarily, and then starts to pour out how he feels and what's going on around him. And I find that to be very, very at the end, because, um, like you said, these are things that are stirred up in us when we're struggling through things. And um, it helps me to think that I don't have to hold back. Yeah. God is totally able to handle all of this, which is, you know, pretty bad. And um, and yet it gives me hope to know that my complaints are heard, though it may not seem like it because they're not being resolved right now. Yeah. Um, I can leave and trust all of that to him. It's a it's a forward motion that I appreciate in Scripture, um, that hope of what we're going to have in eternity, that he's going to take care of all of it. Yeah. It may not be now, but he'll take care of it. That's really good. Can I add to, can I add to that? You can. Since it's right here. You may. It it, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so so the very end, what's, what's amazing to me is, and I think the thing that, that – that makes this psalm, the, the, the realization that they still love the Lord, is they care about his, his, his honor. They care about his, um, his glory. Because they say, redeem us, the motivation. Why? For the sake of your steadfast love, for your covenant love. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, really, they're really concerned about how God looks to those around them mm-hmm. and to the, to the people themselves. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, even in their Godward cry, there is, there's this opening toward a bigger picture that's going on that I think is helpful. Um, it's not all the way there, but they're opening it up to, to that idea. And then I don't, I'm not sure if you all were able to hear, Anna said a ton of great things, but some of it is just that we can unload our hearts before God and he can handle it. Um, the more we learn about love of neighbor and stuff, the more we learn 
just unloading our hearts is often something we can't fully do to other humans <laughs> in certain ways. We can. Um, there's always a concern of appropriateness in doing that. But bringing our hearts to God, he already knows these things. And the taking it to him is something that he uses to do such good in us. Um, we were talking in our community group a little bit about the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us, who's praying the prayers that we would pray if we knew what God knows, which Ryan said, which I just think is beautiful. But it does kind of raise that question, well, why even pray if, I mean, the Holy Spirit, I think he's got it covered. Like, I think uh, it'll be better better than I could do myself. But it's that process of us coming to the Lord and vocalizing these things, whether inwardly or outwardly, um, that he uses in so many ways for our own growth and edification. Um, and so we, we see that going on here. Anything else that you notice in this last section that's just helpful for us to think about? Yeah, Darcy. Sorry, I'm going to switch things up and actually ask you a question. What? Is that okay? I didn't get to prepare for this. Um, how do you balance what you just said mm-hmm. with um, our understanding of like the reverence we should have before the Lord. Cause I feel like that often gets like, well, but don't forget you're talking to the Lord. Yeah, so yeah. like, how would you address that? I guess still keeping in, in mind this idea that like, of course, like Yahweh, God, True. like, you know, um, but he wants this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I guess, could you answer that for me or speak to it a little bit? Ryan can address that next week in problems. No, um, just kidding. It's actually, it's, I don't know that it's a huge problem. Um, I I think it's just good for us to realize um, that tension and the desire to do both without letting one trump the other, but realizing he can handle when it's out of balance. Um, And so the honestly bringing our hearts before God, everything in scripture shows and models and tells us that this is okay. And I can't think of any command that says God can't handle your heart. (laughs) <laughs> and so there's nothing biblically warranted to like say, wait a minute, hold that back. On the other hand, what's what's great to see is the giving thought to whom we're addressing and what is true about him is also a helpful part of the process in our own hearts. And so, yeah, bring your honest complaint, but I do think it's helpful to say, but can you seek to represent God rightly in your complaint? Um, Because that's what we appreciate when people bring complaints against us, right? Um, Hey, I don't like what you did at all, but I've known you in the past and your heart seems to be good. Like, I don't think you would be trying to destroy me. Like, we appreciate that on a human level. How much more so is that just a helpful posture to bring toward God, right? This does not make sense, and I can let that all out. But I am going to seek to be honest about what you've said about yourself and what I've seen. And I think we, we see that modeled here, right? And um, it's not that we have to be perfect in the doing of it, but just notice what's there. Um, for our soul, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help, redeem us, which is something God has promised to do, for the sake of your steadfast love. And that's part of what Mark is getting at there too, is the essence of their complaint is, God, you promised to do this. You say that you're loving. I know you have the power to do this. Do something about it. Like, I don't see how it fits together. 
And so that's holding both on the one hand, like God's promises, his character, the things they've known and they've experienced, with then the perplexity of like, this doesn't seem to square with what we're presently experiencing. And um, I think if we give some thought to that in our complaint, that's a helpful thing. Yeah, Piper? Um. I was just thinking, like, one thing I definitely struggle with is, like, when I'm praying, I'll be like, hey, I know you have, like, a plan and everything, and, like, and I know that you're in control, but could this, like, could, like, I really need help with this or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, but your will be done and everything. Like, (laughs) I don't want to disrespect you, but this would really be helpful. And so I go in this like circle and I'm just imagining God being like, can we get to the point? Like, what are you trying to ask me for? (laughs) Like, yeah, yeah. So when just kind of thinking of like, um, in my prayer, like, obviously I need to like pay respect and everything, but I really can just like say what I want to say, I guess. (laughs) You really can openly and honestly bring that before the Lord. And then um, part of it is the process of saying, that's how I feel. Will you help me to consider who you are and what you've said as I walk through this? Like, that's a thing to ask for. But it's not a prerequisite for your complaint to be heard. Um, I think that's where it gets pretty moralistic in our thinking, right? Oh, did I frame it up right so it actually makes it through in a high-priority way? Um, and if, if our prayers are just raw, then they're kind of like flagged as spam, um, you know, type thing. So, all right. These have been great thoughts. I want to just point out something just by way of conclusion, and then, um, and then we'll do TPCA just as, so you can be, well, listen to what I'm saying, and then we'll think about it, I guess. I was going to say you can be thinking about it while I'm talking. Um, All right, these are just a few things out of conclusions of some other commentaries that just kind of help us put this all together. And I think you could just listen to what's said and see if it helps um, us think kind of bigger picture. The first one's from Jim Hamilton Jr. And he says, David suffers. So, So what he's doing that's so great is he's zooming out and he's saying, this is showing us things about David that are gonna become clearer as the Bible goes on. And so he says, David suffers through much of book one and he enters his kingdom in book two. This is part of the development of what's going on in the the Psalms overall kind of narrative. As book two opens, however, the righteous community suffers on the way to entering that peaceful kingdom. The city of God described in Psalm 46. So we think of Psalm 46 and this safe city we're in. Um, They're trying to get there, but it's coming through this suffering. Such a sequence matches the way that Jesus suffered first suffered before entering into his glory. And now the church suffers on the way to entering the new Jerusalem. You see how it's saying this is part of the arc of the story of the people of God. This happened to David. This happens to the greater David. This happens to those who are in Christ. Is There is this experience of that. The flow of thought in this section of the Psalter, and particularly the function of Psalm 44, our psalm, fits hand in glove with the way Paul quotes Psalm 44:22 in Romans 8:36, which we'll see a bit. He he quotes this um, all day long. We're like sheep to the slaughter, um, and then he says, "No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, super conquerors." And so he he takes it uh, this interesting way. 
Derek Kidner says this, and I think this really gets to a pivot that happens here. He says, but the crux is verse 22, the very verse that Paul cites. And he says this, with the phrase, for thy sake, or in our version, yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. That's an interesting turn that happens, right? Because they're saying, wait a minute, we've been innocent, yet we're going through all this. What's going on? Can you wake up and do something? But in it, it also says, it seems like it's for your sake. It's about something that's going on with you that we here are now being sheep to the slaughter. And so he says, the psalm does not develop it, but it implies the revolutionary thought that suffering may be a battle scar rather than a punishment. You see what's happening there? Because the way we're tempted to frame it up is suffering is because we have failed. And that's so much of their objection, right? Why are we going through this if we're not being punished? That's the essence of what they're saying. And yet this for your sake we are doing this opens up a different window that there could be another reason that their destruction is happening. And it says the price of loyalty in a world which is at war with God. It's, it's for your sake is causing them to zoom out a little bit. They don't understand the fullness of it yet. Romans 8 is really going to unpack the fullness of that, even though it doesn't answer all of our questions. But part of what's happening here is maybe some of the suffering that we are undergoing here isn't at all connected with our level of faithfulness. But instead, it is part of the outworking of a world that is at war with God and its battle scars for the people of God as we are part of that war. But it's going to be subsumed into a victory that's glory beyond the loss is really what Paul's kind of getting at. And so maybe this experience we have of the difficulties of this life and the sufferings of this life is somehow being used by God in this bigger battle that we don't fully understand. That's what it's opening the door to. If this is so, he says, a reverse as well as a victory may be a sign of fellowship with him, not of alienation. Now that's the big deal. You see what he's saying? If this is so, uh, he says reverse, we could just make it a defeat. For the people of God, a defeat as well as a victory may actually be a sign of fellowship with God, not of alienation. And so that's breaking through even in this Mosaic Old Covenant context. He's saying there's even a category for it back then. How much more so is that a category we come to understand through all that Christ has done? And so he says this, so Paul quotes verse 22, not with the despair of the more than defeated, the kind of section 9 through 16 there, but with the conviction that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. The divine sleep or aloofness and inattention of verses 23 and following are the appearances, they're, they're the felt experience but the reality behind them is given the last word in the psalm for the sake of your steadfast love. And so what they're saying is, here's what's actually true at the end of the day. We don't understand how it all fits, and we're, we're telling you to wake up so it feels more like it. Your steadfast love is something that is the bedrock of everything we understand. And if we truly believe your steadfast love, and if we truly have been like being faithful in this, then our suffering isn't an indication of your absence, 
but it must mean you're even doing something in our defeat, um, which is where Paul takes that with us being super conquerors. How you doing? <laughs> okay, let's just close with this. TPCA. So what does the passage teach? We've been talking about that, um, and so you could grab any of those things as a handle. But I think what I'll do is open it up for this. What in this passage could we praise God for? What do you see that's praiseworthy about God, even in a psalm of complaint and lament? And even if your heart's not ready to praise him for that, (laughs) but it can be a praiseworthy thing. Yeah, Hank? I don't know what it is about the Psalms that get me all excited, but um, nice. just the grandeur and the greatness of God, because, okay, it's all for his sake. We have to remember that there are bigger things going on than our comfort, and that Israel went through their setbacks, not necessarily because of a punishment, because God was working out his providence, and all those things were for examples for us now when we look back. And so when we go through our things, and they're terrible and they're awful, and we tend to want to think that God's just not there, but we have to remember that we're more than conquerors and he's working out his providence for our good. Yeah, that's, that's really good. And so the, the praiseworthy thing really about that becomes, God, you are so amazing that you can work out these things that seem like only evil could come for them, only darkness could, and yet your word is telling us they will be subsumed into good and glory somehow. That's a thing that's mind-boggling for us, and yet comforting and praiseworthy, right? Um, Anything else? Yeah, um, Kevin and then Piper. I... Think about the biggest possible setback we could imagine, which was Jesus going to the cross. And, you know, how his disciples all thought, that's unimaginably unimaginably bad. Yeah. And all the good that God had designed in that and had to go through that path, um, we didn't understand it until afterwards. Yeah. Think about Israel being in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. They didn't know why, Mm -hmm. but God had a purpose, not just for them, but for the whole world, to see the liberation uh, from sin that we needed, that he was going to give, use them as kind of an object lesson Mm -hmm. for the whole world. Yeah. Yeah, and what what I think is amazing about all this that we have to keep in mind is there's the wonder of that greater story Um, And yet, it's not at all trivializing the misery of or the darkness of the bad. We see that with the cross, right? Like, there's no way in which Scripture's like, yeah, and it was all worth it in the end. You know, it's like Jesus sweating drops of blood saying, if there's any other way. Um, And yet, the grandeur of the story is actually bigger than the depth of the darkness. And so... um, Walking in it, both realizing this isn't saying just put on a happy face because your suffering's really not that bad and going to be turned into something good or something. It's something that can hold the depth of how low we go 
and yet say, if that's how deep you go, then it's going to be correspondingly higher of the glory that's coming. And that both holds the depth of the darkness and yet this glory that's really unfathomable for us that we won't understand until we see the whole of it. Um, And so it makes sense that we feel that tension having not yet seen that glory of how could something really make this somehow okay for God to be having me go through. Um, If we get glib about that, we're not going to have good answers for people going through really hard things, which this life is filled with it. If you read Sherry Curry's email as a prayer request, just a reminder of like people go through really hard things, uh, and there's so much more. Um, Piper, do you have, hopefully I didn't take it. Okay, good. Um, just the kind of like it's right there in the passage, but like just to read it is so comforting. Like God is never asleep at the wheel. Mm. Like and not only that, but like we can complain. Like it's in our nature too. Yeah. And God knows that, and He will endure it, even though like it's not how we were supposed to be. Like, we're not supposed to, like, we weren't created to complain about, like, Mm. what God does. And yet he, like, understands that that's something that we do. Mm -hmm. And he'll, like, listen to it. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, that's something that's absolutely amazing about God in this. Like, (laughs) if you were the God of the universe, would you open up a complaint station like, I'd be like, cool, I'm God. This is one thing I don't have to deal with is any more complaints. <laughs> and yet God's so amazing that he's like, I can handle it. Bring it. In fact, I'm giving you a whole book of like words you can use in case you're wondering what complaint you need to bring. That's a, he's a God like no other for that. What kind of love, what kind of care says, I will continue to hear your complaint, even though he can see exactly even the futility of that complaint sort of, right? And how it's all going to pan out and how at the end of the day we'll be like, yeah, I retract that one actually now that I see this is kind of how that will happen. And he's like, no, um, that's how great his love and care is. Catherine, did you have something? Um, I I was just struck in the beginning of the psalm how um, when the psalmist is recounting God's faithfulness, in verse 6 he talks about, um, for I do not... For in my bow I do sorry, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. Yeah. And I was just thinking a praiseworthy thing is that Lord, thank you that none of this my circumstances or um anything depends on me, that it's God who's overseeing everything and that He's done that in, and we know that He's done that in the past, and so we know He's faithful. So just thankful at praising Him that uh it's not dependent on us. Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah, it's not dependent on us. And even in this, the whole reason we feel this tension of like, I'm going through this, is because God actually is faithful and trustworthy. Like, that's actually his character. That's why that makes this mess so hard for us to understand, is he's that great. Um, So that's really good. So those are some praiseworthy things. I mean, we could go on and on, I think, about this, and there there are things there. Um, What... What does this bring us to confess, do you think? And I'll just, for the sake of time, let's just combine confess and ask, just so um, 
What does this make us confess and what do we ask God for in light of this passage? Yeah, Amen. Hang on a sec. Wait for the mic. I know you have a booming voice. Um, for me, I think it to, to confess that I forget about the past, what he has done, right? Yeah. His truth. Um, it reminds me that he wants us to cry out to him. Back when in Exodus, when his people cried out to him, then he came. But it was a while they had to wait. There was a long period of time that went by, and and even before Christ, there was a lot of years. And then he sends. There's always there's always got to depend in, in him and, and trust in him that there's something to come. I mean, he controls everything, even the bad, right? And there's always something that I'm never going to understand is why we're dealing with it, why we're going through it. But I know that he wants me to cry out to him. He wants me to have that relationship with him to to talk to him and and confess. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, so we confess how we have forgotten and lost sight of his past faithfulness, and we confess we haven't come to him about it, but we are now. <laughs> uh, th- those can be things, and Haman said more than that as well. But Anyone else, anything confessing and asking that this drives us to God in? Yeah, Caleb, you know the drill. Uh, I think for me, it's uh, I can confess that I don't rely on God, um, that I want to do everything myself, my own way. And this psalm reminds us that, like you, in verses 1 through 8, it's saying, like, God, you've done everything for us without, without us doing anything. And then 9 through 25 is like, you've abandoned us, why have you done that? But then 26, it's like, but you but come to our help, because we still can't do it without you. Yeah. And then just asking God for that strength to rely on him through everything. That's, yeah. Confessing our lack of dependence. How often I can't say, for not in my bow do I trust, nor can my sword save me. I'm pretty confident that my bow and my sword, I mean, have you seen my sword skills? Um, Yeah. (laughs) My bow staff. (laughs) Sorry. Uh, Yeah. And we could translate that anyhow. I'll just leave it at that. But we confess how we've done it ourselves. And then ending up, as Caleb said, this posture of dependence of, I need you. I need you to work this out because I can't do it. That's where we need to end up. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Kevin. And then uh, we'll probably wrap up. Hey, Daniel. I, I might also have a tendency when somebody else is going through something terrible to think that that is God's punishment on mm. them. You know, I first looked at this psalm, I was thinking, um, you know, how can they vindicate themselves? Yeah. There must be something missing. God's going to point it out. And yeah. that didn't happen. And then as we came along here, and I thought, no, it's more like Job, um, who was righteous. And um, all his friends kept telling him, you know, there must be something wrong with what you're doing. Yeah. You know, that's because that's the only reason that God would visit this yeah. this punishment on you. And so that caused me to think my my attitude might be the one that's wrong here. Yeah. That there's a different reason why God is using this this problem either in my life or in somebody else's. Yeah. That's a really that's a really beautiful thing for us to move to as God's people, isn't it? 
Um, Kevin, I appreciate your honesty of saying like, we tend to be really judgmental, right? Like we see other people, their life is hard and we're like, mm, yep, I think I know why, you know. Um, I've seen how you, uh-uh, or like whatever, you know, you must watch, blah, blah, blah. or like we've got all kinds of, anything we don't do, they must be doing it to somehow make that be happening to them, right? Well, first of all, not only is that not how we're supposed to live at all, but you know what the real rub of that is? What happens as soon as something is hard in your life? This formula that we've sown to for so long that all of Scripture speaks against comes full force to condemn us, right? What have you done that's making you go through this? We will wonder that enough just as fallen people. But if we're thinking that as we look at others, it's going to come full circle on us too. Like it, it creates all kinds of problems. And so, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing to realize. You know, we're like the disciples. Oh, that man's born blind. Who sinned, him or his parents? You know, and Jesus is like, you, no, that's, that's not what's going on here. This psalm is like that too. Um, and there's things all throughout scripture um, that help us understand that although sometimes hard things come as a result of things that we've done, and even that doesn't take away God's giving and goodness in it, but even though that is sometimes true, there's a whole bigger category that says there's this bigger picture of what's going on, and people of God who even are relatively righteous um, as the people of Israel, or the Lord Jesus who was perfect, or believers who are in Christ and counted righteous and now have no condemnation against us and that whole scale of punishment has been thrown out, still find ourselves in the midst of difficult things. God must be doing something bigger is what it calls us to um, throw ourselves upon. Great. Well, um, thanks for walking through this with me. And I, um, I think what's really cool about it, not only is Psalm 44 edifying on its own, but I, I trust that as we hear Paul use it in Romans 8 with now this clarity on the other side of the cross, the richness of what we see before Christ, um, I think will make Romans 8 even richer as we understand it more fully too. Because um, I don't know about you, but for a long time I've read Romans 8 and it's like, what's that sheep to be slaughtered stuff? Let's get back to the love of God. Like Paul just throws in this like weird thing. He probably just... Uh, didn't realize what he was doing or, or was like, oh, I went too far without quoting scripture. What, what's next? Uh, throw this one in. Um, and instead, it's actually incredibly intentional because it's bringing all the force of this complaint to his argument in Romans 8. So uh, thanks for rolling with all of this. Let me pray and then you can um, fellowship together and then we'll come back to hear more about Romans 8 and to praise God for all he's done. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, how it meets us in our struggles and our pain. We confess we don't have answers to all of this. It still really hurts. There are lots of things that we can't just um, square in our heads. But thank you that scripture continues to push us into categories of of who you are, of what you've done, and to to make us look at you in, in all that you've shown us in Jesus And then to say, how does that fit with what I'm experiencing here? And it gives us at least um, perspective, even in the midst of the cloudiness of glory that awaits us. And so we pray for that perspective. We pray for strength of faith. We pray that you'd help us not to have a wrong perspective of others' suffering 
and that you'd also help us in the midst of our own suffering. And help us on this walk until our Lord Jesus comes again and all things are made right and suffering is no more. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.